Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you could be with us. It's the best we've had in the last few weeks, and we're appreciative of your presence today. And looking at our what is going to be our lesson for today, I found a parable that, that I wanted to do. I actually found this in a list, but I didn't find any notes on it. So this is one that I had to do some research on my own for. But the parable that we're looking at this morning is the parable of the watchful household, as I call it. And others refer to it as the parable of the watchful porter or doorkeeper. But as we look at what we're looking at today, we're looking at a watchful household. That's exactly what the master wanted. But I want to ask a question to begin our lesson for this morning. How many times has it been that the end of the world has been predicted? I looked online and what I could find to the best of my recollection and at least what has been published that the end of the world has been predicted over 150 times since the year 365 A.D. And I've come up with a list of many of them that have already come and gone without any incident. Hilary of Poitiers, the French bishop, announced the end of the world in 365. Hippolytus of Rome, Sextus Julius Africanus, and Irenaeus, all three predicted Jesus would return in the year 500. One of the predictions was based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. I'm not exactly sure how that is. John Wesley is a name that we are familiar with. He was the founder of the Methodist Church and he foresaw the millennium beginning in 1836. He wrote that Revelation 12 and verse 14 referred to the years 1058 to 1836 when Christ should come and so his prediction was that he would come in 1836. The Jehovah's Witnesses tried their hand at this twice. Once in 1941 and another time in 1975. From 1966 on the Jehovah's Witnesses published articles which stated that the fall of 1975 would be 6,000 years since man's creation and suggested that Armageddon could be finished by then. Pat Robertson, another name that we're familiar with, predicted the end of the world in 1982. Now all of these are in the years before I was even born. Harold Camping had several dates that he decided should be the end of the world. In 1994, he predicted first of all September the 6th, second September the 29th, third October the 2nd. And when all of these didn't come to pass, then he decided in 1995 that the end of the world would be on March 31st. And that wasn't enough, I guess, because later on, several years later in 2011, uh, one we would probably be familiar with, 
He decided that October the 21st should be the end of the world. All of those dates came and went. Jerry Falwell, as, long as, as well as authors Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, predicted January 1st, 2000, to be the end of the world. Some believed that because of the changing century, the world would go into mass chaos and that would be used by the Antichrist to rise to power. And one that I wasn't aware of actually until I started researching this. July 29th of 2016 was predicted to be the end of the world. A viral video from the YouTube channel End Time Prophecies claimed that the world would end on this day. They predicted that the earth would undergo a polar flip, as they called it, which would apparently cause the earth's atmosphere to be pulled to the ground as the surface reels like a vacuum, causing a rolling cloud to cover the planet. They also claimed that a worldwide megaquake would ensue. That was July 29th of last year. And yet, here we are. And there still are several dates that have been predicted should be the end of the world that have not come yet. Some many, many generations after we will be gone. And as I look at these dates that I've listed, none of these dates ever brought to fruition what was thought to be the truth. The truth is that no one knows when the end of the world will be. Jesus stated that not even He, the Son of God, knew the day of His return. And if Jesus doesn't know, how can anyone on earth claim to have such knowledge? The truth is that we do not and cannot know when the end of the world will come. Jesus presented a parable to illustrate this point in Mark 13 verses 32 through 37. And this parable will, will be the object of our study today. So I want you to turn your Bibles there. Mark chapter 13. As we begin looking at this parable. The beginning of the parable actually is in verses 24 through 27. Which is why I included that in our scripture reading this morning. And this is describing the return of the Son of Man. Mark 13, beginning with verse 24, says this. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming and the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. There are some people that predict that these days have already come. I do not believe that to be the case. 
This is describing that which is to come. That which is yet to be. And the parable continues in verse 32. As we read through verse 37. But of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. Nor the Son. Of Man, nor the Son. But only the Father. Take heed. Watch. And pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country. Who left his house and gave authority to his servants. And to each his work. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore for you do not know. When the master of the house is coming. In the evening. At midnight. At the crowing of the rooster. Or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. I want us first to look at the illustration itself. The illustration is given in verses 34 through 36. And let's just read it again. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Let's first notice the master of the house. He went on a long journey to a far away country. And this is very similar to another parable that we're going to look at a little later in our lesson. But he went on this far journey. And before leaving, he charged those of his household. His servants were to continue working in his household. Each servant was entrusted with a certain amount of responsibility. And this is also believed to include family members. But all those in the household had responsibility that they needed to tend to. Though the amount of responsibility varied from servant to servant. Hence the phrase to each his work. He charged his doorkeepers, also known as custodians, those that cared for the house. They were reminded to keep watch over the house and keep watch for the master. The master could return at any time so those of his household should be found continuing in their duties as they had been entrusted to do. Now, who and what is represented by the illustration? The house represents the church. The church has the responsibility of doing the master's will and being active until Christ should return to receive them. The servants represent the flock, the members of the church. 
as Christians, we each have a responsibility before God. Each member has different talents and abilities in the Lord's service. But all should be used to glorify and honor God. Then we come to the doorkeeper. What is represented by the doorkeeper? Who is represented by the doorkeeper? Or the porter, depending on which translation you use. Are there suggestions that the doorkeeper refers to the apostles? Those who told us what we need to do. But I believe that the doorkeeper represents, and this is not saying this to be the case, but I believe that the doorkeeper represents the leaders of the church, the elders. Those who are to be watchful over the household, the church. Those who are to be watchful of Christ's return as well. And certainly whether the doorkeeper represents the elders or the leaders of the church or not, the leaders of the church are charged to keep watch over the flock. I want to notice a few verses that are found in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel 34, and beginning with verse 1. And here it speaks of the shepherds of Israel. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherd, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd nor did my shepherds search for my flock but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock therefore O shepherds hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord God behold I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. Just as it was in Ezekiel's day, shepherds are appointed over the flock of God, over the church. 
And being appointed as such, they have a responsibility to the Lord and to the church. The responsibility of the shepherds in the Old Testament was to look out for the flock of Israel. The shepherds of the church also must look after the flock. They are to make sure that the work is continuing. They are to make sure the church is not influenced by outside forces and false doctrine. They have a great responsibility. I believe the doorkeeper to be the elders of the church, the shepherds of the church, because they continue with us today. They have a great responsibility of keeping watch over the house of God. Now, as we look at that illustration, what is the meaning of it? What is the meaning? As members of the Lord's church, we are to be actively working in His vineyard. All of us have a responsibility in the work of the Lord. We are to be using our talents as they have been given to us, as they have been entrusted to us. We use the talents that God has given us, the abilities that we have in worship. We use them in service. We use them in soul winning. I want you to notice what is said in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14, we're given another parable here. The parable of the talents. And in verse 14 of Matthew 25, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Does that sound familiar? He traveled to a far country... He called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents and traded with them made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And in verse 22, he also had, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them both, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But then we read in verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid 
and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Verse 30, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Though the talents that we use are a little different than the talents used in this parable. See, the talents we refer to often are the talents that we have, the abilities that we have, the things that we have been given to do, that we can do. We are to use those to God's glory. But either way, we learn from this parable that we are to be profitable servants. Are you profitable to God? You know, actively serving also means actively watching and preparing for our Master's return, knowing that it could be at any time. There are different watches that are mentioned in the parable in Matthew or in Mark 13. Notice what is said in verse 35 of Mark 13. It says, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Roman custom that was also followed by the Jewish people as well represents these as specific watches through the night. Evening would be sundown to about 9 p.m. The midnight watch would be from about 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. The rooster's crow, that watch would be from 12 a.m. to about 3 a.m. And the morning watch was from 3 a.m. to sunrise. But I want you to notice something about all of these watches. All of these watches fall between sundown and sunrise. They're not during the day. They're at night. And most people are sleeping. And since these watches that are referred to are through the night, must understand that the Lord can be expected at a time when He is least expected. It will be at a time where we're not thinking that He would return. It will be at a time when most people are sleeping, spiritually speaking. Doorkeepers are given a special responsibility in guarding the house and watching. And so are our leaders given the responsibility of guarding the flock of God and watching for our Lord's return.
the warning. The warning is given in verses 32 through 33. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. We are warned in verse 36 not to be sleeping. The servant of God is always watching and working ready for the day of which he cannot be sure. It's not just the responsibility of the doorkeeper to watch for the coming of the Lord and to tell everybody when it is. No. We all have to be ready. And so we're all told to watch. We are promised that He will return. Though we do not know the day or the hour, we can know that He will return for us. We've been fairly warned. And though many may feel His coming is delayed, we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Christ will return for His own, for the righteous. And we have to be ready when that day comes. So many people have tried to predict when the world will end. We have this fascination, we have this curiosity about us as humans that we want to know when this day is going to be. And many, many, many have tried and failed to predict the day. I dare say that as we look at the predictions, it probably won't happen on any of those days. Because we don't know when that day will be. But I have to ask you, whenever that day is, whatever that day may be, whatever the hour, whatever the minute, whatever the second, are you ready? Are you ready for the end of the world? Are you ready for Christ's return? Will you be found with the faithful few in eternity? I want to close our lesson with a few verses from Matthew chapter 7. 
Matthew chapter 7, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in his closing remarks, Jesus says this in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. In verses 21 through 23 of the same chapter, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, we're told that the faithful are few. There are many people, maybe a majority of the world, that believe in God. Maybe they attend worship services on a regular basis. Maybe they do a lot of wonderful things for people who are in need. But we're told that there are a lot of people that think they're right with God. That think they're doing what God wants them to do. prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and yet they will be told I never knew you depart from me I never knew you many people that think they're doing the right things they think they're doing what they're supposed to do there are many people even in the Lord's church. That are not doing as they should do. There are many people that think they're going to heaven. But when that day comes, when we face God, when we face that day of judgment, and we all will face that day, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you will face God. Many will be told to part. There are going to be a few. There are going to be a few that God says enter in. I want to hear those words enter in. And I hope that you do too. And if you feel for any reason that you're not right with Him, that your heart and life are not right with God, you've not been what you should be, if you have any doubt whatsoever about your salvation, it's not something to play around with. It's not something to, well, let's try and see. You know, the Bible tells us, and I believe that we can be sure of our salvation. 
we can be sure that we're saved. There's no guessing that a Christian has to do because we've been told if we're faithful, if we're faithful, then we will be rewarded. But if you have doubt, if you're not sure, if you're not ready, if you're not ready to face God, then I would encourage you to be ready. To become ready. To do what you need to do to be a faithful child of God. Whether it be in becoming a Christian, through obedience to the plan of salvation, through repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of our sin. Or maybe it is that you've done those things and you need, you need to return. You realize that you've not been faithful. You've not been living as you should. and You need to return to God. Maybe you need to confess fault. Maybe you need to ask for prayers on your behalf. But we offer an invitation. We do this every week. We do this every service. Because we never know the hearts of those that are in attendance. I don't know your heart, but God does. If there's anything that you need help with, if there's anything that we can do to assist you in being a faithful child of God, we give you the opportunity to come as together we stand and as we sing.